Montrose, and welcome to our conversation series and podcast, Motown Knows. I'm Justin Tubbs, the managing editor at the Montrose Daily Press. Tonight, our focus turns toward the night sky and the lights that prevent us from really seeing it. Um, light pollution is defined as excessive or poor use of artificial outdoor light. And the dark sky movement is made up of people that want to change our lighting to improve our communities, improve our ecosystem health and safety, and to save energy, and um, maybe most importantly, to see the stars at night. The movement officially began in Flagstaff, Arizona, which became the first international dark sky place in 2001. And uh, after that, over 30 cities have since become dark sky places, including uh, locally Ridgeway, Colorado. And to learn more about what goes into the dark sky designation and what the effort looks like in the Western Slope, we are joined by Lori Rome, the Chief of Interpretation at Black Canyon of the Gunnison National Park. We also have Brian Cashin, President of the Black Canyon Astronomical Society. Uh, and we have Aaron Watson, Director of Dark Skies Paonia and Chair of International Dark Sky Association's Colorado Chapter. Um, thank you all for joining us today. And before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, Delta Montrose Electric Association. Um, and if you wanted to ask any questions or leave comments, log on to Neighbor. That's N-A-B-U-R dot MontrosePress.com. Post them there and we'll be sure to answer. So we're going to jump right into it. And I'm going to start with you, Aaron. Um, why become a dark sky place? What's important about that and how does it benefit communities? Well, yeah, thanks, Justin. Uh, it's great to be here. So the dark sky certification is actually a really rigorous process. And what it does is it, it you know, helps, it shows that there's an exceptional dedication to dark skies and to reducing light pollution in that area. And so that's the main reason to become a dark sky place is to show that you've taken these, these steps to become certified and, and to show this exceptional dedication. Um, you know, and that includes, you need to do things like have shielded lighting, have color temperatures below 3000 Kelvin, um, have outreach events and just show a, a, a wide range of support in your community for dark skies. And, you know, it, it's really makes your town beautiful. Um, it's really good for the health and well-being of the residents. And you can see the sky. And becoming certified puts you on the map um, of dark sky places around the world. Right now, there's 15 certified places in Colorado. Um, we are one of the leaders in the United States. And so becoming certified, you can join this, um, this group of towns where you can still see the, the stars. Nice. Uh, Lori, uh, you work with uh, National Park Service. Uh, what benefit does uh, having dark skies um, have for visitors to the parks? Well, the benefit of dark skies um, extends beyond visitors to the park. Um, it extends to the resource themselves, and that is the purpose of National Parks, preserve and protect cultural natural resources. Uh, for people today and people of the future. And those dark skies, I'd say protect both. Um, I think folks are pretty aware of the value of dark skies to, to wildlife species and functioning and behaving normally um, in a healthy habitat. But then for visitors, um, they get a chance to see 
the park in a more natural state, um, pre-industrialization, perhaps with uh, an ability to see things like the Milky Way and stars and constellations. Um, we have seen a massive interest in the public to visit places that promote dark skies. So it's very popular. Nice. Brian, um, as if you're an astronomer, whether professional or hobbyist, um, obviously dark skies are better. We all know that. Uh, but what, what are some of the tangible differences, um, maybe sightseeing and looking at the stars um, in a dark skies community versus somewhere with a lot of light pollution? Well, I think one of the main things is just what we call the wow factor. Um, and every time you sow an adult or even an eight-year-old child, Saturn with its rings through a telescope, the most common word in the world is wow. Um, and the same thing can happen when you show uh, almost anything in the night sky. I've had people say, what's that cloud up there? I thought this was supposed to be a dark place. And I tell them that's not a cloud. That's actually the Milky Way. That's hundreds of millions of stars that you can't see unless you're at a really dark place. Um, just, just take a chance to, you've asked me about being an astronomer, but dark skies benefit much more than astronomers. Um, they're important, as Lori mentioned, for wildlife, for insect life. They're important for human health. Um, there's uh, many, many studies that have been done on the vast benefits that result from controlling light pollution. Absolutely. Um, Aaron, just getting into the movement a little bit, um, what should a dark sky novice know about it? Um, what what does the movement look like in 2022? Where is it at, and um, how are communities jumping on it? Yeah, so right now, um, the kind of the best thing you can do is join the International Dark Sky Association and become a member. And the reason is is because we have a global network of advocates, and so every month we have a a global advocates meeting, and just the amount of resources and information you can learn about the movement is amazing there's so much going on across the world and even here in colorado um another thing uh, you know if you're an aspiring dark sky person you know the best thing you can do too is start it start at home you know you can look at your lights around your house and make improvements to those add shielding change out your your bulbs stuff like that um yeah and here's a picture of shielding so you know make sure that the lights are pointed down and they're not shining up um, out into the sky or, or horizontally so that, you know, you're using it where exactly you need it. So, so you start at a, at a sort of individual level, um, helping your community in that way. Um, what does the International Dark Sky Association do to sort of help with resources? Um, and if communities, you know, want to get involved more, what, what do you guys do? Yeah, so we have a, a whole... Um, certification process and there's staff at the IDA and volunteers who can help you go through the process. So the certification process isn't easy. There's a number of guidelines you have to do for your town or for your place to become certified. And the International Dark Sky Association is there to support you in that in that process. You need to have an application um, and do you know do all these processes. A big one is to have an ordinance 
in your town, that's, you know, probably one of the biggest pieces, or if you're a public land to have a, a, a lighting management plan. So yeah, starting out individual. Um, and then what really works is, you know, it is grassroots or, you know, organizations, but finding other people in your community who have a like-minded um, knack for wanting to protect the dark skies is really important. And if you can get a little group going, those citizen-run initiatives really help um, kind of guide the process because a lot of municipalities don't have a lot of time or resources themselves. So if you can get some volunteers in your community, that really helps the process go. Absolutely. When uh, Do you have any specific examples maybe of, of communities that have sort of gotten that movement off the ground and maybe what were some of the successes and challenges that they had? Yeah, well, I can speak from my own experience. I live in Paonia, Colorado, and we are we have a movement here in Paonia to, and we're working on making Paonia a certified dark sky town. We're in the process, um, but for example, here a big thing that happened was the streetlights. So DMEA was going to replace all the streetlights in town, and our group worked with the town and with DMEA to find appropriate dark sky streetlights. Um, so we were able to get. 2700 kelvin streetlights which are kind of more of an amber color and residents in the town of paonia are are fairly happy with that move i have a lot of people you know thanking our group for making that change and you know that the town is has a kind of a better feel to it when you're there at night because of these these new streetlights so you know just that was a great we actually made a change in our town um, just by showing up and advocating for dark skies. And, and you know, DMEA was really great to work with, and we really appreciate their help as well. So, uh, Brian, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've been to Black Canyon and, and seen some of the stars out there. Um, what are maybe some of your favorite areas and um, uh, places to get out in Colorado to sort of see the stars? Oh, well, as Aaron mentioned, there are now 15 dark sky places in Colorado. That could include a dark sky community like Ridgeway, Norwood, Natarita, Nucla are all dark sky communities here in our neck of the woods. Uh, dark sky parks, which would be Black Canyon of the Gunnison, uh, Cura County Recreation Area, um, Great Sand Dunes over uh, to the east. Uh, Dinosaur National Monument is going through the analysis. And then there can be I guess what I would call sort of semi-public parks, not necessarily federal parks or state parks, but, um, and the, the one that comes to mind is Top of the Pines at Ridgeway. And I have to say that's one of the darkest places I've ever been. Um, they were designated last year and they are a few miles to the Southwest of Ridgeway and they've got a little campground there. So any of those places uh, would be great places to go. But Western Colorado is pretty dark just in general. And so I don't think you necessarily have to go to a dark sky place to see the night sky. Um, you will get programs if you go to some of those places, but you can go a lot of places in Western Colorado and see dark skies. Absolutely, cool. Um, and you, you talked about a lot of the a lot of the uh, communities there, um, Paonia, for instance. Uh, Aaron was talking about, um, and some of these other places that are getting designations, like 
uh, you mentioned Dinosaur National Mon National Monument. Um, so what exactly does it look like there to sort of become a dark sky place? Um, not necessarily a community, but, you know, parks and outdoor areas. Do you, do you know much about that? Yeah, so uh, I was involved with the designation of the Black Canyon of the Gunnison National Park in 2015. Um, and it's, it's a very rigorous process, as Aaron mentioned. It's a little bit different for parks versus communities, and that's not a surprise. Um, the common factors are they have to be able to measure the quality of their night sky and present that to International Dark Sky Association. They have to be able to say, this is what our lighting looks like now, and this is our plan in how we're going to improve that. Or in the case of a community, it's this is what our ordinance is that controls what people can put in as far as lights. How much uh, enthusiasm is there here in Western Colorado for dark skies? Um, how big are the local organizations? Um, and, uh, you know, how, how, how much do you have to talk to somebody before they get on board with the idea of let's make ourselves a dark skies community? And Brian and Aaron, you guys can both answer that. Really, I mean, the, one of the best things you can do is, you know, show someone the the amazing night skies we have here in Western Colorado. And a lot of people come to me and they're like, when's the next event? When's the next time we can see the stars? So that's, you know, one of the best ways to convince people, I think, of of what we're doing is is the, the wonder of the night skies. Um, and, you know, with dark skies, I realized, you know, just with conversations with neighbors who have lights on, a lot of people just don't know. They they don't really know what that there's a problem with the lights and that it's causing harm to the environment. And so when I just tell people and, and just give them some education, most of the time they're like, oh, wow, I had no idea. And then they're willing to make those changes. Yeah. And Brian, how, how much enthusiasm is out there right now? How much have you seen? My, my perspective is that it depends a lot upon uh, the size of the, the population size of the community that you're dealing with. So, for example, Nucla, Natarita, Norwood, Ridgeway, Paonia, they're all small communities and they are probably a lot more tight knit in terms of what they enjoy about their community than, say, a larger town like uh, Montrose or Delta, or even if you were to go to Grand Junction. There is an astronomy club in Grand Junction. Uh, that is trying to work with the city of Grand Junction, but they've just started that effort. Um, here in Montrose, uh, we've been working off, kind of off and on with them over the years, and, and we're making some progress. And, um, and DMEA is involved in that as well, because the city will specify what lights are to be put in, and then DMEA installs them and maintains them. That's the arrangement between a municipality and between uh, the Electrical Association. Um, yeah, and that actually brings me to a question we had from one of our neighbor members. Um, her name is Claudia, and she talked about being really interested in Dark Skies designation in Montrose specifically. Um, so what would that route look like? You said it's a little more difficult with you know the larger municipalities versus, say, a Montrose County community like Nucla or Natarita over on the West End. So uh, what do you think uh, is are the steps that need to be taken to 
sort of make those changes in like a Montrose or a Delta? I would say there's probably two components to that. And the first one is going to be updating uh, the municipal lighting ordinance. And like any regulation, that's, that's just an ordinance that the city council puts in place that says, if you put a new light in, here are the characteristics that it has to have uh, for that particular application. Um, and then there has to be, of course, enforcement of an ordinance uh, for it to have any kind of meaning. And then I think uh, this, the second component would be to work with the city and with the electrical association. In our case, it would be DMEA to perhaps test some lights, test some lights like Aaron was able to get installed in Paonia and put them in maybe on a couple blocks in Montrose. Would they go through their replacement plan here with LEDs and see what the response is to them? Um, as a past example of that, city of Davis, California, replaced all their LEDs. This was probably 15 years ago. And they put in 4,000K uh, lights. These are bright white lights. Um, and the uproar in the population was so great that the Davis had to go back and replace them all with lower temperature, more amber lights at a cost of about a half a million dollars. So it pays to work with you know, all of the right team members at the outset and get things done right the first time. Sure. Uh, anything to add to that? Yeah, one thing I would add that kind of makes it a little easier um, is that usually when you change your lights, you know, in Paonia, we had a big energy saving associated with the light changeover. So when we switched to these low color temperature LEDs, it saved the town a bunch of money each month, which was actually huge. And, you know, those lights are gonna be paid for just after a few years from the energy costs. So that's something to keep in mind as these bigger towns um, perhaps become certified is that there is actually a big energy savings that could happen. Definitely. And uh, that's pretty much all the questions I had for you. I like at the end to sort of go around and ask everybody if they have anything they wanna add. So Aaron, anything you wanna add to the conversation today? Yeah, I'll just add, um, so, the Gunnison Gorge National Conservation Area, just outside of Montrose, is looking at becoming a certified dark sky park, which is really exciting. Um, you know, and we're looking for people who can help out the effort. So some volunteers who could perhaps go and take some dark sky readings of the, the sky in the Gunnison Gorge. We have an event lined up March 31st um, for the for people to come out and look at the stars and get involved. So you can find information on the Western Slope Conservation Center website for this event. And um, I'll also put it on darkskiespaonia.com where you can find information for March 31st. So that'd be great to have some local Montrose people come out and help out with the dark skies at Gunnison Gorge. That's perfect. I've spent a lot of days and nights out there since I've lived in Western Colorado. I really love that area. So. I didn't even know about that, so that's exciting. Uh, Lori, you have anything to add to the conversation today? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, you know, we face a lot of big challenges in the world. Uh, our climate is changing, there's political strife. I guess something about the dark skies that I find very appealing is that 
it probably is one of the easier pollution sources we can solve mm -hmm. and one of the easier things that we can we can reach and it really can begin at your own house um simply closing your curtains at night so light creep doesn't spill out onto the roadway um yeah changing your light bulbs uh to a lower kelvin temperature and shielding them the the simple things that can be done by the individual feels really powerful when the problem can seem pretty big. And, and that goes for when you're visiting a national park as well. Um, folks might not think about it, but as they're traveling around in a national park, uh, use that red flashlight. Or if you have a recreational vehicle or a trailer, think about turning your lights off as you go to bed at night, not leaving it all lit up, things like that. The power is literally in your hands um, to make an effort immediately. And so that's pretty powerful. Perfect. Brian, anything else you'd like the listeners to know? Yeah, let me mention three internet resources that they can go to. Um, some we've already talked about. Um, the International Dark Sky Association website is darksky.org. It's all one word, darksky.org. Um, and uh, IDA Colorado has a website of their own. Uh, is it idacolorado.xyz, Aaron? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Okay. And then another one I want to mention is I can't say their whole web address, but the organization is Colorado Plateaus Dark Skies Cooperative. Um, and they cover all of Western Colorado. And of course, it spills over into Utah and even some of Arizona because it covers the, I guess you'd say, the geological formation that we call the Colorado Plateau. And they have, uh, a lot of work going on in dark skies as well. And they try to be a network among all of the different parks that fall in that area, whether they're state parks or national parks. Perfect, a lot of good resources there. Um, that's gonna wrap up our week's episode of Motown Knows. Um, wanna give a special thanks again to our guests, Lori, Lori Rome uh, with Black Canyon of the Gunnison National Park, Aaron Watson and Brian Cashin. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. And um, if our conversation brought up any comments or questions, again, you can head to neighbor, that's N-A-B-U-R dot montrosepress.com and leave your comments there. Um, and thanks again to Delta Montrose Electric Association for their continued support of our podcast and conversation series here. Uh, Motown Knows was created by myself, Justin Tubbs, as well as Jose Perez. It's edited by Sean Flannelly and Sean Fitzpatrick and receives additional production support from Annalyn Winfrey and Cassie Knuse. Thank you.